Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Statesman Sports Desk podcast. This is the first edition of our new Monday morning show, where we basically just review the events of the previous week and weekend. This will be an awesome, this is going to be an awesome show. We're really excited. And of course, joining me is Jacob Nielsen, the sports content manager of the Utah Statesman. Jacob, say hello. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well, out enjoying the sun. Happy Labor Day, indeed. It's a lot easier to enjoy Labor Day when your team's coming off a win. Like like Blake Anderson said in his post-game interview, he said, like, the food's going to taste better and the beds are going to be softer after that win. I think this long weekend's going to be a little bit more enjoyable after our Aggies went into uh, Pac-12 country, got the win against Wazoo. We'll definitely talk about that later on in the show. Um, in fact, that'll probably be a majority of the show. But before we get into that, we do want to go over some of the other um, events happening in the conference because honestly, it was a really big, really big week one. Tons of upsets. We won't get into all of them right now, um, but there were upsets across the board. Um, but we do want to talk about some of the uh, some of the Mountain West scores, and then also Jacob, give a quick update on our soccer team. First year head coach Manny Martins is continuing to just roll through opponents and. Still unbeaten. Yeah, so the USU soccer team, they just finished their third weekend. They are currently 5-0-1 on the season, so five wins, one tie. This weekend was probably their best performance yet. They defeated UVU in extra time on Friday in Utah Valley. They were an NCAA tournament team and actually won a game in it. So that was a pretty big win. Just, just last year, Just right? last year, just, just in the spring. So coming off a tournament win. Yeah, and it, the same roster. Yeah, crazy. Ashley Cardozo had an amazing game-winning goal for that. And then today we took on Marquette out of the Big East, and Marquette's not quite as good, but they looked a little bit lackluster, kind of the long weekend, the emotional game Friday night against Utah Valley, but they were still able to come away with the 2-1 to extra time lead. So, yeah, it's a fun atmosphere out at the Bell. So y'all got to get out there. Manny Martins, he's uh, similar to what Blake Anderson's doing with football. He's concocting something special there so yeah i'm pretty excited about what soccer's been able to do so far i agree many martins has been great his record i mean his record speaks for itself 5-0-1 i almost think this win against the marquette golden eagles was in in certain ways more impressive i mean obviously when you can go in and beat uh ncaa tournament team uh, that's impressive but being able to just a few days later go into overtime again um, I will say, like, I, I watched that game, and the team looked really, really good, but you could definitely tell, like, they were so tired. So for them to be able to grit out that win after going into double overtime, and, you know, I can guarantee you Manny Martins told him not to stay up for that football game, but it was it was one that you couldn't not watch, so I bet some of them were staying up watching that game. So late night Saturday, be able to turn around and play a noon game in the blazing sun on Sunday. Just a gritty win, so solid win for the, for the, for the girls' uh, soccer team. So Manny Martin's actually post-game. I was interviewing him, and he said, I stayed up too late watching the football game last night. <laughs> so <laughs> He admitted to so the head coach himself. on the sidelines and everywhere. <laughs> yeah, in every facet, but they still got it done. So Really, really solid win. And we, we're going to probably talk about this a lot more, especially as the soccer uh, soccer continues, and probably we'll do, we'll do different shows dedicated to just this. But I think the Manny Martin's hire, and you mentioned Blake Anderson's hire, really speaks to what John Hartwell is building here at Utah State. Um, we here in the at the Statesman and, and within the department, we give John Hartwell a lot of credit, and I don't think he's underappreciated necessarily by the fan base. Uh, but what he's doing here at Utah State cannot be overstated. His impact on each and every single sport is is really immense. Every time he gets to hire his own person, he brings in 
somebody really dynamic. I mean, he's really not, he hasn't missed really a hire. I mean, there's, I guess it was that first, uh, when he, when he brought Kerry Anderson back, I guess would be the one, but, um, he's been doing a great job at hiring new people. And, uh, I think John Hartwell has this idea of obviously you're going to focus on the sports that make money and the sports that get you, uh, get you the headlines, you know, the football and basketball, but he's really doing a good job of not accepting mediocrity at some of those other sports like soccer and volleyball and some of those other sports that we sometimes forget about, but they're just as important. The athletes work just as hard. John Hartwell expects success at every level and every sport. So I think that, you know, we'll talk about that a lot throughout our months and years with, with John Hartwell, but yeah, no, and I think it's uh, impressive. Even Rob Nielsen, he's the new volleyball coach and the Aggies in 2019, they won two games, and then yeah. they won several more last year, and then now they are already four and two on the season. Yeah. So it's just crazy what a good head coach just changing the culture and um, bringing in an extra talent, but also just um, building the trust of the team that's already here. It's yeah. amazing what that can do for several of these programs on campus. And another thing going right along with that is keep an eye on Kayla Ard and her women's basketball team coming up. Um, another new hire, this is technically her second year, but her first year was you know, completely ravaged by COVID and she kind of walked into a program that was already had its cupboards full of players from the previous staff and she has had a lot of turnover with that team. Uh, the team is brand new and now un- unhindered by COVID, they should have a great year. So another, another John Hartwell hire to keep your eye on. And we will, we'll definitely talk about Kayla Ard and her Aggies later on. And we will definitely keep an eye on Manny Martins and his, his soccer team because they are doing really, really well. Let's take a look at the, the scoreboard for the rest of the Mountain West. Um, there were some, some unexpected games, some upsets that went our way, some upsets that didn't go our way. Um, and then some games that just kind of went exactly as you expect them to. So uh, if you have those pulled up, go ahead and uh, let's just kind of go through just go through those games. Week one, we got it started with a loss to an FCS school, UNLV, in double overtime, fell to uh, Eastern Washington, the one Division One team in the state of Washington that get a win over the weekend. And then, <laughs> That's true. And then Boise State, they squandered a big lead against UCF. Um, I think Batchmeyer made some questionable decisions late in that one, and yeah. so they lost 36-31. New Mexico beat Houston Baptist 27-17. And then, also Friday night, Colorado State got rolled by South Dakota State. Like, that's an FCS loss, but the Jackrabbits are a good team. Yeah, I mean, they're... They lost by 19... Yeah, yeah. 19 points to an FCS, 42-23. Pretty embarrassing. Hawaii last night, they won 49-35 over Portland State. Hawaii's supposed to have a, a good defense, and you just gave up five touchdowns to Portland State. That's, uh, that's not a really good sign. San Diego State beat New Mexico State 28-10. That was a game that you were kind of keeping tabs on last night. Yeah. Yeah, I I did the – so this one's my bad. Hand up, my bad. I sent out the don't look now text way too early. Um, but, yeah, that, that game was not particularly close in the opening in favor of the Aggies. Uh, and then ended up turning it around. The Aztecs did come back and got the win as they were expected to, but they were really getting manhandled in that first half. It well, was, New Mexico it was State, for, for the, New Mexico the State had a 10 lead at halftime, and I think the funniest thing about it is the fact that you were so dialed in on these other games. <laughs> like, I was so dialed in, taking notes on the Utah State game and the Twitter bot and just trying to piece everything together, and then I'm getting texts from Parker's like, yeah. oh, dude, like, BYU, 
did this, and then, yeah, man, watch out, San Diego State's looking bad. Yeah, So yeah. I imagine you and your man cave with, like, 20 different TVs. <laughs> I, one day. One day I'll have that. Not quite. Not quite yet. All right, and then a couple of the other games. It was a full slate yesterday. Yeah, we. I think every team played this yeah. week. In the so Wyoming, they beat Montana State 19-16. I didn't watch way that game, close. but way, way too, too close against FCS opponent. Air Force took care of business against Lafayette, 35-14. San Jose State lost to USC 30-7. Um, USC, obviously, is a really good team, and you shouldn't expect the Spartans to win that game, but you'd hope they would have, uh, at least their offense would have put a few more points on the board. And yeah, yeah start really, stuff. hopefully it's just kind of a, a slow start for the uh, for, San, for San Jose State. But, you know, we've kind of said this all summer long, like we really don't know what to expect from that team. So, yeah, you would have liked to see a little bit more out of them, but we'll see. We'll see in the next weeks what, what they're able to do and what they're actually made of. And then also Saturday afternoon, Fresno State took on number 11, Oregon, and they were winning late in that fourth quarter. Yeah. I was watching that game. They ended up losing 31-24. They really shot themselves in the foot. Um, they had two pretty costly turnovers that turned into points for the Ducks and honestly I was really impressed with what I saw from Fresno State their defense um, was legit they were hanging with a pretty talented offensive line yeah and their quarterback his name I forgot his name but he did all right he held his own so Fresno State is certainly a team out in the Pacific Division that uh, is going to make some noise and then the team predicted to win the Pacific Division Nevada with Carson Strong they defeated Cal Berkeley 22-17 for the first of two Mountain West wins over Pac-12 opponents. And then the second game that was a Mountain West win over a Pac-12 opponent was... Our Utah State Aggies being the Washington State Cougars and Pullman. 26-23. That was a solid one. So, honestly, the, the Mountain West, like I said, a lot of those games just kind of went the way you wanted them to. You don't learn anything on games that go the way they're supposed to, but... The Mountain West went two and two against Pac-12 opponents, and so you you know some of those games you learn a lot. I think about Utah State, which we'll talk about, but even Nevada, they're projected to be really good. They're already receiving votes to be in the top 25. I don't think they're going to sneak in this week, but they've got to be close after that win in Pac-12 country. Um, so you you know you learn a little bit about Nevada, but you also learn a lot about some of these other schools that lost games that they just simply were not supposed to. We knew UNLV was bad, but for them to lose to an FCS school is really bad. Colorado State, we thought was a good team. They dropped one against an FCS school. Those are the games you really learn a lot about. Maybe the Rams aren't as good this year. Maybe they won't be as competitive as we thought. Um, and then Wyoming, barely being able to take take care of business against, was it Montana State? Mm-hmm. So those are the games you kind of learn a little bit about. Uh, San Diego State, you know, like I said, ended up winning big, but... Uh, that first half, they were really uh, really getting manhandled by New Mexico State, so maybe there's something there. But um, some, of these, uh, some of these Mountain West teams are really looking like they're not as competitive as we want them to be. Yeah, not a great first weekend for the Mountain West as a whole. But... Which is unfortunate because anytime you go 2-2 two and two against the Pac-12, you want that to be a good week. But then you look at some of those other teams. You know, we, get, we win two games against Pac-12 opponents, but then when you also lose two games to FCS schools. So exactly. it's, it's kind of tough. It's almost the, the tale of two halves of the of the conference there. You know, the top half should look really good. Hopefully Utah State stays in that top half, but definitely some tough losses in the, the Mountain West this year, this week. That's enough about Mountain West teams that are not the Utah State Aggies. So I have just pages and pages of notes about this <laughs> game, and I'm going to try to just be brief and 
regular podcast length here. I'm going to try to contain my excitement. But I, as a lifelong Aggie fan, as someone who's sat through so many Power 5 road losses, you know, because that's what, that's what you do when you're a mid-major. You go out and get your money playing Power 5 schools on the road. It feels so good to be on the other side of the same story that we've seen so many times. You know, we went in against Auburn. We were winning late. We went in against Wisconsin. We were winning late. And they were the ones getting the comeback, scoring in the last seconds, in the last minute to beat the Aggies. But not this time. This time it's Utah State coming back, down 12. They come back and win by three, scoring a touchdown with like 11 seconds to play. Unbelievable. It just, it feels so good to be on the other side of this. Especially, I think, like, to be the underdog. I mean, I'm sure Wisconsin was relieved when they were able to beat us in the last second. And I'm sure I'm sure Auburn was relieved when they were able to recover that onside kick and score and beat us. But they were supposed to win those games. We came in as a team that got one win last year. The betting line for wins this year was three and a half. We were not projected to be good. And we go into Pac-12 country and we pull off an awesome comeback. It just feels so good to be on the other side of that story. Oh, it absolutely does. Just We've seen this script time and time again. We go, we're competitive, we come out, and we don't get the W. This time we did. One thing that was interesting about this game that's a little bit different than some of the other ones was this wasn't a payout game like uh, the LSU one and the Wisconsin game. That's true. This was supposed because to be home and home. Was, yeah, because Washington State that's... was supposed to come here, but it got canceled for COVID. But we still uh, returned the visit or not return the visit we took the visit and i don't think they're coming here anymore but had they no if, they, not, if there was especially if not, there was a plan for them to come back they are not they so are not there is still there still no might chance. be a paycheck if they have to buy themselves out of that game or something sure um i also i mean they're a fun team i wouldn't mind having them come back in logan um even though it would probably be five or six seasons down the road but um so the big question going in the big question going into this game um beforehand was quarterback on really both sides of on of, of this game and I uh, look. I'll be honest. I try to be. I uh, try to be. You know, take the high road. But I'm not above saying I told you so. <laughs> and I called it. I, I knew there was going to be four quarterbacks in this game. Which I okay. You know what? I was actually wrong. We saw five different quarterbacks take a snap. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of saw that one coming. To be honest with you, both teams were just so unsure. Un, unsure. And Utah State ended up being the ones that were able to capitalize on that. Um, let's go through, let's just kind of go through some of our, our notes. What were like the, uh, some of the big, uh, big picture things that you were noticing throughout the game? Um, because I, like I said, I have pages of notes and I'm going to try really hard to only take some of it and talk about it right now. Yeah. So obviously I was still pretty convinced it was just going to be Logan Bonner and they go with the dual quarterback system. Like Parker said they would. And still I'm openly, I'm opposed to that because I think, being a quarterback, it's a really rhythm-based sport, and the process of a whole game kind of requires you to get in a rhythm, and yeah. it's hard to do that when you're going out every other drive, right? And so they both bring things to the table that Washington State has to prepare for. Bonner with strong arm, stays in the pocket, and Peasley's capable thrower, but where he's really deadly is if he can get out on the field with his legs. Which he did a couple times. I which he did. And the interesting thing was both of their strengths also uh, turn into weaknesses 
for them mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Because Which is what good defenses do against you. Sure. So. Because Peasley, they both had a turnover apiece that were they were tough turnovers in that second quarter. Bad, bad turnovers. Peasley, third down run, just past midfield. He's trying to get the first down, and he just, just loses the football, right? It mm-hmm. Just fumble, recovery Washington State. Luckily, the Utah State defense was able to hold, hold strong, and I believe that's the possession Washington State knocked the field goal off the post. Yeah, no, that led to the missed field goal. Yeah, and then the ensuing drive, Logan Bonner. We're hoping, let's uh, build our lead here a little bit. It was 5-3, to three, the baseball score, right? Yeah. And Bonner launches one down the field, and it just gets picked off, and they return it all the way back to the Utah State 27, and then... They're able to capitalize on a field goal there. They, they did knock that one. Yeah. Down. So yeah. those were that first half definitely odd, definitely low scoring, it's and really odd, honestly. Yeah. But it was. Uh, I wouldn't say it was terrible efforts from both the quarterbacks, but they no, both not at all. But they both made those two, those one big mistakes apiece, and that really uh, kind of defined the second quarter. Yeah, and I I have a couple things on that dual quarterback thing because. You and I were texting kind of back and forth throughout the game, and you were like, you asked me like, "Hey, what do you think about the dual quarterbacks?" And I was like, "I love it because I I love anything that gets us on the scoreboard." And at the time, that is kind of what was working, but by the end of the game, by the third quarter, once Washington State got their offense rolling, it became clear like we need to find somebody that that does need to catch a rhythm. And and one question that I've had kind of in talking to people about about the the dual quarterback thing is you talk about how they can't catch a rhythm and they kind of look bad when they when that doesn't happen and watching at least the first half or the first three quarters I I kind of went back and forth and it was like it it was like the what came first the chicken or the egg Uh, and it was almost like well are they not able to get into a rhythm because they're switching off and that's what makes them look bad or are they looking bad are they, are they not looking super crisp and so they kind of have to switch off until we find someone and that's why they're out of rhythm. So it, it's kind of like, you know, what came first, the, the chicken or the egg? And it's interesting that they both had those turnovers, I think, on back-to-back drives, which I think when Peasley fumbled that ball, my thought was like, okay, that probably cost him the rest of the game. Monter goes out there and throws a pick and I was like, okay, well, it's back to square one. And I remember kind of thinking, okay, you know what? Whoever gets to the end zone first is probably going to finish the game or, or, or win the starting job. And that's kind of what happened um, later on. But I will say one note on Andrew Peasley. There are a couple things on Andrew Peasley. I do think Logan Bonner has probably solidified himself as a starter. And I've been kind of pretty vocal about this for a while. Like I want whoever the starter to be to get a lot of snaps and a lot of reps. And I hope we can take that. Uh, this this upcoming North Dakota game and, and do just that for Bonner. We'll talk more about North Dakota this this upcoming uh, this you know on the show later this week. But uh, a couple of notes on Andrew Peasley is one, he did address the one concern I had for him was which was arm strength. He did put the ball downfield in the air a few times. He went he went long a couple times and it looked really really good. And then the other thing, Logan Bonner went out there and started and they stopped him. And then Andrew Peasley comes out in the second drive. And immediately that change of pace paid off. In what should have been a touchdown, a long, long, it was like a 43-yard throw. Yeah, 45 down, yards. 45 yards. They get all the way down to the one on a play that was pretty close to being a touchdown. I think they ruled it a touchdown, called it back. And then... Great catch from DT. Three, yeah, DT, of course. It's it's always DT. Say less. If it's a great catch, it's DT. 
and then three false starts in a row, pushing the Aggies back and forcing a field goal. So I do think Andrew Peasley should have probably scored a touchdown. Uh, he kind of got robbed out of a touchdown there just from some silly mistakes. But I kind of do love this idea of maybe there are times throughout the season when it's appropriate to inject a little bit of Andrew Peasley into your offense because that change of pace immediately paid off when we did it the first time. And so I don't think this is going to be the last time we see Andrew Peasley. And I think it gets more effective the more you see Bonner. Like if Bonner's out there for drive, like for drive after drive after drive, and then randomly in the third quarter, you're starting to stall out and Andrew Peasley goes in and just changes up the pace. I think there's value in that. I think we saw the value in that. But I don't think it's going to be like a 50-50 or even like 60-40 switching off. I think it's definitely going to be Bonner's job. But I was pretty impressed that the offense's ability to use Andrew Peasley as a change of pace, and it completely caught Washington State off guard, and it worked really, really well. No, that's certainly a good point. Um, that's something that I think we could start seeing. And the same thing happened for Washington State for different reasons. But Jarrett, their starter, he went out with an apparent injury. And then yeah, I hope he's okay. Jen and Delora, who was by a lot of people the presumed starter returning, he came in and he seemed to get Washington State going yeah. in that third quarter. He seemed to be the spark that they needed to uh, start moving the chains against the Utah State defense. And uh, they really they stretched that lead out. They started to look there like uh, the defense was kind of withering away and that it, this one could, uh, could get away from the Aggies. A little bit more just on the offensive side, or I guess just, you know, with everything. I remember this this game was so different the first half than it was the second half. I even remember in the first half, like, writing down notes and just, like, thinking, you know what, I could have been right to be a little bit worried about the, the quarterback situation. No one has really um, stepped up and separated themselves. Those thoughts were, of course, dashed by Logan Bonner late in the fourth. But also the receiving core was really, really really good particularly Devin Tompkins who you know that was that was completely expected the running backs also did really well um the Aggies actually ran a really balanced campaign I think they got two 219 yards in the air and 220 on the ground Mm -hmm. so really balanced that's really the definition of dual threat that's exactly what you want I think eventually you'll probably see more yards in the air than on the ground but um pretty solid pretty solid uh campaign from you know, from the offensive standpoint, lots of guys stepped up and took took carries. Um, on the ground, the, the two standouts were John Gentry and Calvin Tyler Jr. Uh, were definitely the two getting the lion's share of carries. And, you know, you could tell why, because they were both picking up major yardage. Um, what, did you, uh, what did you think about the running backs and receiving core, just the rest of the offense uh, in general? Yeah, well, we got playmakers, and we knew that, but seeing them... Uh make plays against somebody besides ourselves is a great thing. Calvin Tyler Jr., just how he's exploding out of the holes, which there were holes. Our offensive line, Our offensive was, line was creating so holes. Good. I think especially Definitely. the yeah. left side, Alfred Edwards and Jacob South, those two guys. They were really good. They played phenomenal, and Definitely that was a major question mark. A lot of those doubters that for sure. had questions on. And on they'll have to keep line. answering that because we know Washington State's defensive line isn't as formidable as some of the defenses we're going to yeah. face. But really impressed with them, and like you said, as a balanced attack. Here's my favorite thing from from the game last night, from a uh, from a journalism perspective. Mm-hmm. We've been talking all summer. I've been talking all summer to all the assistant coaches, the head coaches, the players, and it, what their words, what they said, aligned with their actions last night. 
I remember last year talking with the players and Gary Anderson and stuff before, and they were like, yeah, like we're going to get after it. And you, you knew they weren't going to be good just on paper. You could tell this isn't going to be the greatest season. Obviously, we didn't know it was going to be that bad. Yeah. But the fact that what they said completely did not line up with how they looked in 2020, that's frustrating because yeah, it loses the le- legitimacy. And that's a lot of your evidence as a writer and stuff is the quotes from people and when they're just kind of just throwing stuff in the wind. But, so, you know, those bumper stickers like play hard, play, you know, when they exactly. give you those and then they don't match it on the field. Exactly. It's frustrating. Exactly. Like, but I love Anthony Tucker, offensive coordinator. He said, we are going to have a balanced attack. And that was one of those things might be a bumper sticker. Like, yeah, everyone wants yeah, to everyone, have a balanced attack. Everyone says balanced yeah. attack. They had a balanced attack. <laughs> it doesn't get your, more balanced two nineteen right? one yard of yeah. being exactly even. So, so that was absolutely perfect. Yeah. yeah. And then switch to the defensive side. Something that Ephraim Banda has told me is they want to have a very, very mixed, versatile type of defense. Other defensive players have talked about how it's a really complicated defense. There's a lot of different plays. And that's yeah. something we saw. We saw oh boy. a lot of zone. Did we we saw a lot it? of man. Yeah. And then we saw some crazy blitz packages. Yeah. yeah. So I actually want to talk about that. I don't want to sell the offense short um, because they, they really did look so good. We have a lot, you know, uh, Blake Anderson's run by committee was definitely out in full force. We had a lot of guys running and we got playmakers all over the field on offense. I don't want to sell them short. I don't want to, you know, I could talk about them for a long time, but I really want to talk about this defense. So Coach Bonda was, it's its night and day what he's been able to do. Um, I think like my first, all my first notes were like based on the defense. Like my, uh, you know, just that those are my first impressions. It was uh, Justin Rice and AJ Bong Pachong. That package looks great. Defense is just finding the ball. They were getting to the ball so quickly and they were wrapping up. They did not miss tackles. Um, the Aggies were getting into the backfield seemingly at will, you know, like they were, you know, like you talked about, we saw some of those blitz packages. Every time they ran one, it worked. Like they were just finding ways to get into the backfield. They were causing serious problems for all the quarterbacks, which, you know, coming from a, a journalist or, you know, coming from someone who covers a team with some uncertainty at the quarterback position, or at least up until now, I am pretty confident that we just made their job harder. Like, our defense made their job harder because I think, you know, you have Jarrett Garantano go out early because of injury, but really we were able to just cause so many problems. They actually brought in their third-string guy, the Lehigh product, uh, Cooper. Uh, I forget his last name. But, I mean, we we made that so hard on their offense that – Cameron pro- Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Cameron Cooper. They um, should have thrown in Lagos. They should have matched that, right? Yeah. I, I kind of thought that was going to happen. I thought it was just destined when they put in – It was destiny when they put in – Cooper, um, we I'm need glad, to I'm glad they didn't, but um, but I, I I think Washington State's quarterback struggles are going to continue into next week when they were really hoping to not have those continue because they were really hoping to beat up on us. Our defense was so good, and we we've talked so much about our defensive, you know, that front seven, and you know it starts up front, and we've talked about how good those guys are, but our cornerbacks and defensive backs were really really good for how much we've kind of ignored them going into this season. Cam Lampkin, um, Dominic Tatum. Yeah, was Cam Lampkin. Everywhere. Uh, Dominic Tatum was really, really good. Dominic or uh, Cam Lampkin got an interception in the end zone that was, you know, they called it back for a pass interference. Called it. Could have gone either way, honestly, but you know that's the way the game goes. Um, but the point being, like he was everywhere, and we we haven't talked about them a lot going into the season, but 
they are not going to let us ignore them anymore. They were really good. They were everywhere. For sure. They really showed up. And, you know, we talked about the front seven, but the secondary was just as good. And, yeah, they were a big part. Even on some of those blitz packages, they threw Tatum in there and Mm -hmm. they just threw guys in and they were creating havoc. Um, One thing that I want to bring up is just kind of more big picture with this win. We haven't been this podcast. We haven't been like gawking over. We, we mentioned at the beginning, like, it's awesome. We never beat Power Five teams, and now we did. But considering the fact that we were one in five last year and just really not a good football team, and they've turned it around and we won today, you'd think we'd just be absolutely mind blown and gawking at it. And we are to a certain extent. Yeah. But I kind of am completely. <laughs> but I will say, I guess maybe I have to speak for myself, but just from watching this team in fall camp and just the way I didn't think they were going to win this game, but the way the transfers have come in and revamped the roster and the fact that it's so, so valuable how many of these seniors came back for their super senior year. Absolutely. And so I knew this team was going to have talent. And if you look at just present moment, not our history against power five teams, but just what's going on and the fact that we were able to beat a lower level Pac-12 team, they're likely going to be lower level. It doesn't surprise me. It, yeah. Just looking at the facts of pound for pound, who played who. I was talking to Cash Gilliam, and he looked me in the eye. This was last Tuesday, and he said, "Hey, like, we watch film on these guys. I don't think they're better than us." That's what he told me. They're not. And they they weren't like they showed that. And so big picture, fantastic win. But just watching the game, if you didn't have a vested interest, you were like. Those were two evenly matched teams, and you might even say the better team won. So they they tend to do that. The better team tends to win, <laughs> tends to win football games. Blake Anderson warned us going into this game. He's like, "Look, we're probably going to see some sloppy plays. Like that's what we're trying to iron out week one." We definitely saw some of that, and we saw it on both sides. I think both there was a total, I think, of four false starts in the red zone. Three of them were ours, but they had one too. Um, so you kind of had that some of that sloppy play. But by no means did I walk away from that game thinking we're in trouble or, you know, Blake Anderson doesn't have control of this team. Like, overall, what I saw was, like, a good team making mistakes rather than a bad team making good plays here and there. Definitely just a solid team on offense, defense, special teams, a well-disciplined team. Like you said, like a well-oiled team. Um, One of the concerns that that was brought up that we haven't really addressed on the show uh, that was brought up to me, you know, just with other people is – with all the transfers coming in and people coming in for their super senior year with the influx, obviously of freshmen and things, how does that work? And yeah, you kind of had a little bit of like Frankenstein's monster going on there. Like you have bits and pieces. You have like guys from Miami, you have guys from Michigan, you have guys from Texas, you have guys from a ton of guys from Arkansas state, a lot of guys from, from Utah state from last year, that could have been a disaster, right? If you get that locker room and they don't they don't mesh, they don't get along, it could have been could have been a complete disaster. The level of buy-in that these guys have had, they play together, they play to win. Um, that's that's how you win football games. You have to get along and you know, no one's above anybody else, no one's better than the program. Everyone's here for a reason and that's what's so great about this team is they're you know, they're here for a reason, they're here to send a message like, you know, DT said in his post-game interview, he's like, look, we're not the same football team as we were last year. We're here to send a message. And that goes for every single person on that roster. Every single person is here ready to do their job to send a message to the rest of the Mountain West. And that all, it starts up top with 
Coach Blake Anderson. Yeah, DT even said when we asked him, like, "Hey, did you all think you were gonna you were gonna lose and you're down 11 there at the end?" And he said, "No, like Coach Anderson, he told us like we're right where we want to be." And he said, "He's the one that keeps us together. He's the one that sets the culture." And great coaching staff across the board. They have really established that, and that's gone a really long way. So you can have like rah rah good players, good captains, and like I think they were on that last team. But to really yeah create it into such a valuable culture you're the boss if you're the head coach you're the boss and you gotta run your program and be the the leader and exactly. blake anderson has just done a phenomenal job at that so. he, he's mentioned that you know in interviews and things he's referred to himself as the ceo he understands like when things are bad it's on him like he said yesterday like when things go good he gets the credit he doesn't necessarily want it he any chance he gets he talks about how the credit belongs to the boys but he understands like he's the CEO he's the he's the decision maker he's got to do what's right and the other thing that he's been able to do so well we've talked about it is just that transfer portal um you know someone pointed out to me the other day a lot of uh, mid-majors complain about the transfer portal because you're you know your best players always leave and they go move up but if you look at that Utah State would never be able to win recruits from UCLA Oregon State Oklahoma Texas Michigan Miami we would never go into their backyard and steal a recruit but when it comes to the transfer portal, and if you have a coaching staff that knows how to utilize the transfer portal, you're suddenly getting guys that they recruited for you, they trained them up for a year, and then you get them. You know, like we would never beat UCLA and Michigan in a recruiting battle, but when those big schools decide they don't want them anymore, it's that same kid, it's the same talented kid, we get to take them. So if, when you have a coaching staff like this one that knows how to not only utilize the transfer portal, but also gets to have, you know, has gets to a high level of buy-in from his team, that's the other side of the transfer portal. That's the other side of that coin is you have to have a coaching staff that can get your players to buy-in, and Blake Anderson just does just that. He, he and his staff are amazing. At that in particular, being able to bring in guys from all, all walks of life, all different schools, all parts of the country, all different backgrounds, and being able to get them to buy-in and uh, suit up for this team for, for one purpose. Quick shout-outs to a couple of transfers that have come in and just really – bought into the energy and sounds like they've enjoyed living in Logan and everything. Patrick Joyner from Miami, yeah. Hunter Reynolds from Michigan, Byron Vaughn from Texas. He didn't play too much last night because he was banged up, but mm -hmm. we'll see more of him. Brandon Bowling from Arkansas State and yeah. Logan Bonner yeah, Logan from Arkansas Bonner, sure. State. And even Marcus Moore, he was here last year from UCLA, but he stuck around for his super senior year. Yeah. And so a lot of appreciation for these guys that have chips on their shoulders, you know, talented guys, but it didn't work out where they're, where they wanted it to at their yep. major schools, but for them to come here and totally buy in and they haven't acted like they're bigger than it all. Like Hunter Reynolds, he played in front of a hundred thousand people every week at Michigan and yeah. he's not acting like, Oh, now I'm at lowly Utah state. He's just been a yeah. great member of the team. So shout outs to those guys. Cause really brought in some experience and value while also, uh, um, assimilating yourselves yeah. appropriately. And that's a great point. Like if you treat Utah state, like, Oh no, I'm just in, in lowly Logan, like a lowly program in Logan and the Mountain West, that's what it's going to become. Like if you act like you're a big fish in a small pond, as as the saying goes, you're pretty much guaranteeing you're going to be in a small pond. Like that's the that's the easiest way to just destroy a team is when you decide like, oh yeah, I'll just go. Like I'm, I'm better than everyone at Utah State. I'll just go there and start because they're terrible. Well, yeah, then if that's if that's your thought process, then Utah State's going to be pretty terrible. But no one on this team thinks that. You have guys coming in from from power conferences saying, 
I'm going to – Utah State is every bit as good as them. So you have – you know, like you said, Cash Gilliam looks at Washington State and decides they're not better than us. They're in the Pac-12. They're not better than us. And you have guys coming in from UCLA and things like that that decide, I'm the same kid that was at UCLA. Now I'm in Logan. We're just as good as they are. And, you know, maybe we're not quite as good as some of those power teams, but that's the idea. So you have guys coming in from – you know, I love guys that have a chip on their shoulder, whether it's a guy who – was at a high level school that gave up on him, or you have a kid that was deemed not talented enough in high school that got recruited by Utah State, maybe were their only D1 offer. Um, Jordan Love, perhaps, rings a bell. You have guys that come in and Bobby for Wagner. One, Bobby Wagner, again, we were his only D1 offer. Um, he didn't even want to take it. His mom made him <laughs> take that offer because uh, he didn't like snow. But you have guys like that. And when you have a bunch of guys with a chip on their shoulder, Working together for a coach that they love and respect, which they clearly love and respect, Coach Anderson, great things happen. And so, like Coach Anderson said yesterday in his in his press conference, his post game press conference, this really is just the beginning. Um, anyone who bet under on three point five wins is really upset with themselves right now because this is just the beginning. To be able to start off the Power Five win, the first Power Five win since 2014 a lot of people on twitter and things are saying you know utah in 2011 was the previous power five win i made that same mistake are you in your story yeah i, I had yeah. to revise it I, I made the same mistake i know aj salvinson on twitter made that same mistake corrected it we all kind of forget we beat wake forest in 2014 but still like a huge power five win we don't do it often a huge road power five win that we haven't done since 71 when we beat kansas state and all of that's important, but I think, honestly, the most important milestone or the most interesting to me is that Blake Anderson was the first Utah State head coach to win in his opening game since Phil Kruger in 1973. That's crazy to me. Winning college football games is really hard. Winning college football games in the Mountain West is really hard. Back when we were in the WAC, it was really hard. Winning games, winning your first football game ever at a program is insanely difficult, so... I think that just speaks to and to do Blake it on Anderson. the road against the power five and to do school. it on the road against the power five school. I think that speaks volumes about not only Coach Anderson but the staff that he's brought in. I, I think that is almost the more interesting milestone than look how far it's been, look how long it's been since we've beat a Pac twelve team or a Power five team. All of that, it's interesting. It's historic. I'm you know, like I said in my you know I like I've said before like I'm honored to have you know been able to cover that game, but really I think. One of the one of the more interesting milestones is the fact that Blake Anderson was able to come in here and win his first game, and that's probably true of most programs. Like if you were to look at, uh, take the data from most programs in the country, it's I'd probably I, I would assume that first year coaches probably lose their first game most of the time, except for the Power Five schools that play cupcakes their first week. But but generally speaking, you know, that's just what it is. So that that's really impressive to me. Yeah, no, it's great win, and I think it's important to. Stay in the moment. Stay with this team. Obviously, now their expectations are going to raise as yeah. we move forward to yeah. North Dakota on Friday. Wide out. Be there. Pack the Mav. Um, but yeah, just uh, th- this is a new team. Like like Devin said, like DT said in the the post game press conference, this ain't last year. I don't ever want to talk about last year ever again. They prove that they're a different team on Saturday night, and now we're gonna we're covering. A good football team, and yeah. we know that a really good, good football team. Good, good is relative. Good, not like we're gonna go beat Bama. Good, yeah. but a good football yeah. team. Yeah, and and I've said that. Like we need to be realistic about our expectations. Like we beat Washington State, we have a good chance to start the season two and zero. Going into Air Force, I've said like I don't want to hear 
the whole, we want Bama. I don't want to hear the whole, we want the national championship. We have to have reasonable expectations. And if we have reasonable expectations for this team, I still think we're going to be very impressed. I already am very impressed with the, with this what with what this team is able to do. Big time win to start the season. Like I said, good chance to go 2-0, going into Air Force, a game that we, I think, will define our season. I think, honestly, what you're in store for is a re-resurgence of this program. I think 2020 was the exception, not the rule. I think we're going to get back to our conference winning ways. We're going to get back to our, our ways where we go into a season every year and expect to be bull eligible and expect to be in the conference championship. And the funny thing about this is I, I was at an event last week with a bunch of Aggie alumni and things like that. They were kind of telling me like, oh man, I wish I could be as optimistic as you and Jacob on the show. And like you and Ryan, they talked about um, Ryan Olson coming on and um, doing the season preview with me. And people like tell me like, oh, you're, you might be too optimistic or whatever. And, and then it's funny because you have all these players go and, and talk about how bad that 2020 year was. And I get called out for being negative in that 2020 year by the Utah State Twitter <laughs> you, account. You ended up in the Twitter. Did you see that? I did. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> oh my! I, so I don't know. Like I came on. I was like, I'm like, I was doing. P Shark's the most work. optimistic Utah State fan. <laughs> this biggest homer, biggest I, optimistic I, guy. I, yeah, I I came in. I was doing my prep work for this show, and I was like, I'm gonna have to address this. Uh, the optimism thing. I'm like, I'm going to have to address it. Like, look, yes, I'm a homer. Yes, I'm a lifelong Aggie fan. And then I wake up from a pregame nap from a text actually from Ryan Olson that just says, uh-oh. And anytime I get a text from Ryan saying, uh-oh, I'm like, okay, this, like, what is it now? This is bad. And it's a screenshot of my tweet in the video. And I was like, I'm confused. Like, what are, like... I think someone might be so, trolling you. So sometimes Tyler, I'm getting, Tyler might be trolling Sometimes I'm getting in trouble for being a homer and being too optimistic, and then I'm getting called out for being, you know, a downer and being a, a pessimist. That that blew my mind. My tweet, by the way, all it said was two years ago this football team was ranked in the top, uh, was ranked 14th in the country, which yeah. is an impressive. You're really stating the nation. State the stat. I was You're just being optimistic. I was just stating a fact about. Uh, yeah, it, I, I was shocked when I saw that. I was like, "Are you serious?" But. So I, I guess uh, take everything I say with a grain of salt because everything I say is either way too negative or way too positive and optimistic. So maybe just disregard everything I ever said. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to think about myself anymore because that was – I kind of came into this show thinking, okay, I got to rein it back. I got to be a little bit more uh, – a little less optimistic and then I get called out on the blue check Twitter account. I'm like, well, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to keep our, uh, our expectations realistic. I, for my part, will do my best to do that because apparently uh, I've had a hard time doing that um, in the past, which, you know, that's kind of what I do. I am, I am a Utah State fan, so it's kind of what I do. Yeah, uh, I, but we do try to bring you the best content uh, weekly, twice weekly now. We try to give you, uh, you know, factual. Um, we do like being more positive on the show. We like to, sure. to focus on the good, but we try to bring you, uh, you know, what's actually happening uh, week in, week out. So we're we're out here trying to bring you uh, bring you the best content we can. Like I've said before, if you uh, have ideas about concerns or things you want to hear about on on the show, hit us up on Twitter or uh, on Instagram. Really anywhere on on socials, hit us up. Let us know what you guys are thinking because uh, we love to talk about what you guys want to hear. Um, so yeah, let us let us know what you guys are thinking. Like I said last week, with us going up to two shows a week, we really want to hear what you guys uh, want from us. Yeah. Now on to North Dakota. Now this week. 
little plug in Utah State's been football magazine. We're going to be handing them out pregame at the North Dakota game. So if you're hearing this and you're going to be at the game, grab your magazine. No, no, no. If you're hearing this, you need to be at the game and grab your magazine. Honestly, after that win, it needs to be a sellout. If you're listening to this and you don't have tickets, buy tickets. If you're on the fence, buy tickets. Like just, just be there. Like I don't know. You should I, work for the Utah State marketing department. I'm, I'm begging. I should, huh? I'm, <laughs> I'm begging you. Just show up to this game. Like I don't know what more you want from Utah State, but yeah, like Jacob's saying, um, make sure you grab that program as well. Um, for sure. Yeah. Hey, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, that that just about does it. We will be back later this week, uh, previewing that North Dakota game. Um, so you know we're we're excited to bring you that. Uh, it's a game that you know we'll we'll talk about. It. Hopefully, it's a win, but we. Uh, as we learned week one, nothing is guaranteed. So we definitely have to uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that, talk about what's possible. And, uh, you know, with this win against Washington State, we'll maybe readjust our, our season predictions and season expectations. We'll talk about that later this week, um, you know, in terms of what's going on with this North Dakota game. I don't know if you guys have heard yet, but get your tickets. Buy tickets. Be there. Pack the map, baby. Pack the map. Let's go. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, that's our show. That's our show. Go Aggies.